Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. As today marks the final day of 2024, many of us will be making our plans for the new year. While resolutions and intentions are crucial, the fact of the matter is, is that we'll do what we do based on our priorities. You know that, right? We all have the same 24 hours in a day, seven days a week until we don't anymore. And so sometimes you can feel overwhelmed because you feel like you don't have enough time for stuff. And then sometimes you're overwhelmed because you have too much time for something. But let me ask you something. Who sets your calendar? Who sets your checkbook? You do. And it's all about priorities. I do. And so the thing is, is that as we are looking at our lives, as many are going to be making commitments and some will, will last. I'm just curious by a show of hands. Can anybody say that they are still living up to the commitment they made at the first of last year? Either you don't want to raise your hand or nobody has done that. But the truth of the matter is, is that, hey, there's something good about the start of the year. There's something good about starting over. But I just want to make sure that as we start the new year, that we are not setting ourselves up for failure as we look at the parable or the story of the rich young ruler. Now, we all know that a recipe is only as good as its ingredients, right? Uh, I have been on a quest. Some of you may have known this since uh, my mother passed away. When it got cold, she always made this stew, this vegetable soup. And, uh, yeah, why do I need to talk about food when we're in church, right? But anyway, <laughs> I, I've tried several attempts at doing that. And I remember one time I brought some to uh, to one of our soup things. And at the time, Miss Pauline Tate was living, and she gave me some pointers on what I could do to make it better next time. If you know Pauline, she was just trying to help. But she said, now, you can taste mine. But let me tell you what you need for yours. And so I, 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 I wish I would have her here to, to taste this new batch. So anyway, um, I, I went to the Internet because everything's true on the Internet. And uh, I went to uh, these things, these, uh, these AI-based things. And I said, help me make my mother's vegetable soup with macaroni and beef. And so it spit out all of these different recipes. And then finally there was one. I said, no, I want it. Like this and like that and blah, blah, blah. Until finally, I, I feel like I crafted what would be good. So Donna helped me get the recipe together, the ingredients together. And sure enough, we made that soup. And I mean, nothing's going to be as good as mama's soup. But I'll tell you what, when I ate it, I thought of her. And it was, it, soup, really? Soup was emotional? Absolutely it was because it reminded me of her. And now, if I would have not gone by that recipe, and if I would have said, I know it needs this, but I think I'm just going to add that, or I don't have any of this, so I'm going to substitute with that, it doesn't matter what I would have done if I didn't follow the recipe, then what would happen? It wouldn't turn out the same. So when that soup was done, I knew that it, it, was, it looked beautiful, and it smelled delicious, and and we enjoyed it that night and uh, in the next day as well. Isn't it crazy about soup? It gets better after it's been in the refrigerator for a day. Anyway, y'all could care less about my soup. I understand that. But the same is true with our lives, folks. If we are not in line with God's word and will for our lives, 
it will not turn out well. It doesn't matter how good your intentions are. It doesn't matter if you have top ten resolutions for this new year. It doesn't matter if you have one New Year's resolution. If we don't put the right ingredients, if we don't make the right choices, it doesn't matter what we intend to do. We are a product of what we put in our life, are we not? Well, no matter how good our intentions are in making resolutions at the beginning of the new year, if they are made at the expense of our faith and relationships with God, then it will lead to a sad life. All of you, including myself, we have a choice as we approach the new year. Are we going to make our resolutions all about ourselves? I want to, I want to lose weight. I want to look better. I want to have more friends. I want to have more money. I want to have a better job. I want, I want, I want, I want, right? And I mean, some of those things are good resolutions to have. It's good to be healthy. It's good to be more dedicated. And then maybe some of you say, well, I'm going to make a resolution to spend more time in God's Word this year. I'm going to make a resolution to spend more time in in church this year. Whatever that may be. But we need to make sure. Again, we all have the same 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. You choose what you give your time to. If you want me to tell you your priorities, I don't need I don't need any great spiritual insight. All I got to do is say, just let me see your checkbook and let me see your calendar. You want to know where your priorities are? Look at your checkbook and look at your calendar. What do you spend your time on and what do you spend your money on? And that goes for me as well. We need to make sure that we put God first. But remember, every recipe is only as good as the ingredients you choose to include when making it. Let's jump into our text for today. We're in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 20. And this is the story of the rich young man, the rich man. And our first point for today is you can do well for yourself and still be empty. You can do well for yourself and still be empty. That is why people that are in the Fortune 500 companies that have huge Offices on top floors overlooking cities like New York and Manhattan and Los Angeles are still empty. That is why there is somebody that can re, that can win a Grammy Award, a Tony Award, an Oscar Award, or whatever it is, and have shelves full of them still feel empty. It's just like when you, you can have a decent balance in your checkbook. You've got everything that you want, but still there's something missing. If that's ever been you, then you can identify with this rich young man that we are going to read about. It says in verse 16, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, some translations say good teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Think about it. This was a rich, young, successful man that had everything he could ever want. He heard Jesus talking about eternal life and he says, That sounds good. I'd like that. What do I need to do to get that? Folks, the rich young ruler had everything in the world, yet he was still searching for meaning. Some of you here today are the same way. You are comfortable in your finances, in your career, in your habits, in your health, and you are here today worshiping God. Are you here out of religious devotion? Or are you truly seeking more from the Lord? You see, every person has a yearning towards heaven and eternal life. And God plants the desire for us to be with him. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it 
This is a very popular verse. It says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. What is so special about Ecclesiastes 3.11 to me is if I were to give you a different translation of it, it would be this. It would be, God has created a hole in your heart and in my heart that is so big that only he can fill. But yet people spend all their lives filling it with other things, trying to make themselves happy. Yeah, that's right. Did you know that God created you to have a relationship with him? That is why when we are with him, we are fulfilled. And when we are not, we're always searching. Well, this rich young man was searching. And like most people, he wanted to know what work he could do to gain eternal life. Remember, this was the guy that had everything. Oh, you need me to, I want eternal life? How much does it cost? He pulls out a wad of bills and starts, is it 100, 200, 300, 400, 500? And starts, God, thank you, Reba. And, um, and so uh, heaven is not something to be earned, though. Human effort, it doesn't matter how good you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, there is no technology that will grant you eternal life in heaven. That could only be earned by God's grace. And Jesus was setting up this rich young ruler when he said this. Notice what he says here in verse 17. Why ask me about what is good? For you King James folks, it says, why do you call me good? Now, Jesus is not questioning his goodness, but what he is throwing back to the rich young ruler is, what, what understanding of good do you have to call me this? Because I am not good as my father. But anyway, he goes, Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, continue to or keep the commandments. So evidently this rich young ruler was of the Jewish faith and he knew well what the Ten Commandments said and he felt like he was a good guy. So in verse 18, he here comes the pop quiz, right? Jesus says you should keep the Ten Commandments and then he wants to know, well, in verse 18, which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, And you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in the class and and the teacher asks a question and this one question the teacher asks, you know. So would anybody like to answer this? Oh, yeah, I got this one. And you answer it and you're so, oh, and the teacher goes, that is a great answer. You must have read your homework last night. But... He, he really was that excited. And he said, he said here, he says, I've obeyed all these commands, the young man said. What else must I do? Give me your best, Jesus. All of these things you said, I have done that. But what I want you to understand here is that perfection is not possible as a human. It doesn't matter how good you can be, how rich you can become, how healthy you can be, how skinny or fat you can be. Those things do not matter because it doesn't matter how perfect you want to be. It's impossible 
God has built us to need Jesus. You see, God's laws, the Ten Commandments, and even the whole of God's Word represents His perfect and holy standard. My friends, the bar is too high for us to reach. I remember back when I was in high school and they wanted the football team to to run track in the offseason. When I say run track, I don't literally mean run because I was a lineman and we didn't do a whole lot of running. But uh, we would have to hang around, do the shot put and throw stuff and do weight training, trying to stay in shape in the offseason. So I remember one day we were out there on the track and there was the pole and the mat and the bar. So my friends, what are you going to do if nobody's around and you see the pole, the mat, and the bar? And you're young and think you can do anything. You can imagine what I tried and you can imagine how it turned out. It was not pretty. Um, lots of Bengay and uh, bandages later. Uh, I was okay. But the thing is, is that I had no idea what I was doing, obviously. And uh, so there was no way I reached that bar. And as I see people that know how to do that, it goes higher and higher and higher. It's just amazing to see how high they can go. But I want you to understand something. It doesn't matter how high a person jumps. It doesn't matter how strong a rocket Elon Musk and all these other guys can create. It doesn't matter how high you can jump, how high you can go. You will never reach God in human efforts. And this guy was about to figure out what that meant. You see, it's that very inability to meet God's glorious standards that drives us to the Savior. You realize when you read God's Word and it says, oh man, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. Oh man, this stinks. I'm, I'm not doing what I, say I should do. It's not for God to give you a guilt trip. He's saying, look, this is where you're falling short, but this is why my son Jesus came for you. Well, as we go on, it says, he says, 20, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? And if if you would allow me, let me go to another occurrence of this story that the Apostle Mark writes in chapter 10, verse 21. And I'll put the verse on the screen for you. This is the same event, but this is Mark's take on it. And notice what it says. Jesus, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. That's the cool thing about when you're reading your Bible, sometimes if there's like a, a parable like this, and you've got it in two or three different of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you put them together, sometimes you will find things that is not in one that is in the other. And so you kind of like put them together and get a 3D thing. So in this passage, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Big gulp. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. Mark 10, 21 tells us that in response to the man's answer, Jesus loved him. Jesus had compassion on this man who was so misguided to think that he could really justify himself before a holy God in his own strength. And we cannot do that. And in spite of this man's self-deception, in spite of this man thinking he had anything that would, that would equal him to be able to get eternal life in his own strength. Rather than just flick, flicking that guy out of his face and telling him to get out of the way and, and you, look, you're, you're lost, man. That's not what he did. Jesus felt 
love and compassion for him. The clear problem in this man's life was that his love for money prevented him from loving his neighbor, proving that he was not as righteous as he perceived. Now, now you've got to dig down a little deeper here. The rich young ruler was right with people, but not with God. How do I know that? Well, if you go back and look at the command Jesus asked him if he was obeyed. Go back and look at that. All of those are the commandments that deal with our relationship with other people. If that was all the test was on, he would have made a hundred. He would have made an A plus plus, as my mother-in-law would say. But here's the problem, is that he was fine with other people, but he wasn't fine with the God, with God. This whole thing about uh, there is no other idol before me. This man had an idol. And so what he had was here, the, the young man was right with people, and most would have considered him a religious man. If he would be in a church, they probably would have made him a deacon or a, a teacher or a trustee or something because he, he really looked the part because he was fine with people. But he lacked obedience to the commandment that dealt with putting God first. He loved the people, but not enough to give his money to help them. It was lip service. It wasn't heart service. He was religious to the highest degree. But he had no relationship with God. And Jesus is helping him to realize this. And you and I too, you're like, well, preacher, you got it all wrong. I mean, I am not a rich young ruler. I'm not rich at all. I'm, I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. And, and so money is not a problem for me. Okay, great. Money's not a problem for you. But something is. Because there is always something vying for the seat on the throne of your heart that is meant for Jesus. And it may just be yourself. It may just be your comfort. It may just be what you want for your life and and you just kind of want to zone out and have your life your way. All of us struggle with idols and things that seek to take the place of God. And then we see, and we go back to Matthew 19, verses 21 and 22, it says, Jesus will show you who or what is first in your life. Look at verse 21. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come what? Then what does he ask him to do? Get rid of all this stuff and then what? Follow me. This command, follow me, was the very same command he gave to the disciples. Remember? Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus simply called this man to be his follower but for this man and men leaving behind the riches he has set his heart upon. Don't make these two mistakes when applying this story to your life. Number one, don't believe that every Christian, true Christian, should be poor. That is not what this passage teaches. For this rich young ruler, this was his idol, his money, his, self, uh, his self-made portfolio and everything that he had that made him comfort and made him popular in in everybody's eyes. This is what he had and this is the very thing that Jesus was asking him to give up. Jesus never made this general command to everyone who followed him. 
Believe it or not, if you're a Christian, you don't take a vow of poverty. It does mean you don't worship money, but it doesn't mean that you can't use the money God gives you for his kingdom. Jesus was calling out the one obstacle the rich young man had to free himself before he could be a follower of Christ. Now, you may have a different obstacle. And here's the thing. Jesus knows what it is. Because, I, look, I've been, in that, I've been in the pews, and in my study, I go through this too, but I've been, where, I've been sitting where you're sitting. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, if that makes any sense at all. I can remember sitting in the pews saying, God, you can have everything except this one thing. You ever said that? God, I'll do anything you want to do except this one thing. Well, my friends, that's what this man was doing. I'll do anything you want, Jesus, except for this one thing. And if you God, I'll, God, I'll do you. I'll, I, I, will, I will serve you. I will, I will love you. I will do all these things, and I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. Wherever you send me, wherever you lead, I'll go. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Except this one thing. I can't do that. That is the thing that God wants. You have just diagnosed your idol. The second mistake is to say that this passage is outdated and no one literally has to sell everything they have. If you read this and you think this applies to no one, you would be failing because clearly there are people, maybe even in this room or watching by way of Facebook, there are some people where materialism matters. They are trying to keep up with the Joneses. They are trying to fill their garages with stuff. They are trying to fill their closets with things. They're all, they are trying to amass their, their kingdom, so to speak. And there's nothing wrong with that as far as getting things and procuring things, but when they become your idol at the expense of God, then that is what Jesus is talking about. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Folks, if you, if you are well off, that is not evil. And if you are poor, that is not evil. But where your heart is with that and what you do with your money and your fortunes is. Notice it says money, it does not say money is evil. It says the love of it. And my friend, there are people that have, have huge portfolios and all kinds of investments that are well off. And they do that because God has blessed them and they use it for his kingdom. And then there are some people that are poor as dirt, but yet they will spend every bit of money they have on a scratch card or some kind of thing to get rich quick because all they want is the money they don't have. So they spend all their time of their life wanting money and the rich people spend all their time procuring money. But still, if you're not careful, it is a love of money. So the question is, is your desire for financial security or getting the things you want becoming an obstacle between you and Jesus? Your obstacle may not be money, but it is something because you want right now, you want to tune this message out. You're thinking about where you're going to go eat or you're thinking about how, how whatever, you, your, your mind is somewhere else. But bring it back just for a minute if you're brave enough and ask yourself, what is my obstacle that is between God and I? And that would be the thing, my friends, I would suggest you work on at the first of the year. Matthew 19.22 says, But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, 
for he had many possessions. He had everything he could carry in his arms, but his heart was empty. The young man had followed all the rules to be a good neighbor, but he was unwilling to give away his wealth to help his neighbor. The man had not kept the law or the Ten Commandments perfectly because he knew something was still missing. If the man was whole, he never would have asked Jesus in the first place what it would take to get eternal life. But whatever this man had was worth more to him than the eternal life he inquired about. I see it sometimes with younger, younger kids, younger adults. They say, yeah, I'll have the rest of my life to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for myself right now. But you know and I know we're not guaranteed our next breath, let alone our next day or our next dollar. This man had not kept the law perfectly, and what he had was worth more to him than the eternal life he was inquiring about. And what I would want to tell this rich young ruler is like, man, you can be like the pharaohs of old. Remember when the pharaohs would be buried in these pyramids? They would bury them with all their wealth, only for raiders to come in and take them and steal them and sell them. Look, when, when I die as a believer, I don't care what you put in the casket with me. I don't care what I look like because I know this, I'm not taking it with me. But I will have eternal life. Do you have that? And notice what it says. You can acknowledge your sinfulness and yield to Jesus now. You can make your commitment, your resolution to, to, to deal with that idol that is in your life or as this rich young ruler does, you can walk away sad. And let me tell you what breaks my heart, folks. Is that there may be no one in here today, but there is somewhere, somewhere in some church, there is somebody who has had religious experiences all their life. They're sitting in the same pew they sat in for 50 years. Their generations are sitting around them. They've always gone to church, but they've never given their lives to Jesus Christ. They have a form of godliness, but they have denied the power of Christ to save them. And that's my biggest fear, is that when the rapture comes, some church's attendance won't even be impacted. I don't want you to be here worshiping Homeland Park Baptist Church. I don't want you to be worshiping the facilities or me or anybody else. I want you to understand that the only thing that we are trying to do is point you to Jesus Christ, who is the means for eternal life. Because this rich young ruler, let me just put it this way. Just look at your scripture. When did the rich young ruler become sad? When he realized that he couldn't do what Jesus wanted him to do. He he went into this meeting thinking, I have kept the commandments I've got my bank account high. I've, people love me. I'm, you know, I, I'm really, really a good guy, and, and I've got everything, but I'm still a little empty. And so, what, what can I do to add this to my, my list of stuff? He was completely full of joy before he talked to Jesus, but after he talked with Jesus, and Jesus told him what it required, he went away sad. My friends, do not let anything other than Christ, be at the center of your life 
because either now or for eternity you will be sad. And this is the type of sadness, if Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, this is the type of sadness you will not recover from. We all have to think about, oh, when I, when I pass away, I'm going to see my loved ones and I'm going to get in my heavenly body and it's going to be, oh, it's going to be great. And our bodies are going to be built, our heavenly bodies are going to be built to worship God for eternity. Woo! Amen! Praise the Lord! But for those who reject Jesus Christ, their bodies are going to be made eternal to endure pain and punishment for eternity. You realize that, right? When they die, they're coming back and they're, they're, it's like they are, are wearing a coat with nails facing them. Forever. So that's not only sadness here, but it is sadness in the life to come. So as we finish up our time together, Jesus uses the plight of this rich young ruler. Again, Jesus never did anything. He never taught anything. He never conducted a miracle, told a parable. He never did anything if there wasn't a point to it. And I think, really, this rich young ruler was, a, was an illustration to prove this to the disciples. Look, Jesus used the plight of the rich young ruler as a teachable moment for the disciples. Verse 23 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The illustration that Jesus used about a camel was meant to be somewhat humorous. Because we immediately think of that being impossible, right? The camel was the largest common animal trying to squeeze through the, the eye of a needle. It was imaginable. But you see, riches pose a problem when they often cause us to become content with this life rather than yearning for the age to come. Additionally, riches are sometimes purchased at the end, at the cost of seeking God. Look, riches can encourage a spirit of false independence. You can think because your bank's your bank account is okay that you're you you've got it all made. I remember years ago, my, they didn't give me specifics, but I remember years ago. Some of you remember, uh, probably ten twenty years ago, when the stock market crashed, and I remember my parents saying they lost so much because everything just went. Now the stock market rebounds. I understand that there's a there's a rise and fall of that. But my friends, if your faith is in your, your financial future, then um, I'm sorry, your financial future is not secure. You can do all you can, but we don't know what's going to happen today or tomorrow. I mean, we already work three months, three months out of the year just for taxes. So financial security, financial stability, that's kind of relative, isn't it? We can be financially secure here, and still miss the boat and be sad. You see, verse 25 and 26 says, The disciples were astounded. Who in the world can be saved, they asked. And then I love this in verse 26. It says, Jesus looked at them intently. You ever had somebody look at you intently? You remember when you were younger and you misbehaved and all of a sudden your mother or your father looked at you intently? 
I'm joking around with Donna and I'll do something, say something. Then she looks at me intently and I know, back off! Jesus was looking at the disciples intently. He was making sure they understood me. He basically was grabbing them by the ears and looking at them face to face. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. You see, the man's wealth may have been a barrier for him coming to Christ, but it wasn't impossible for the rich man to be saved because God's grace for rich or poor or young or old, he will forgive their sins and they can follow Christ. What does that mean for you and me? In Christ, there are no lost causes. There is no one beyond God's love. There is no one beyond Jesus' forgiveness. There is no one, no matter how rich they are, poor they are, sinful they are, big they are, small they are. No one is a lost cause. And I know that because there were times in my life when people thought that I was the lost cause. Then Peter said to him in verse 27, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? I love Peter. Peter says what all the others were thinking. Okay, this is great, Jesus, but what's in it for us? In the Bible, we see that God rewards his people according to his justice. In the Old Testament, obedience often led to rewards in this life. However, obedience and immediate rewards are not always linked. If they were, good people would be wealthy and suffering people, would, it would be a sign of sin. Peter said what most were thinking. Following Christ, what's in it for me? The disciples would likely hope that their following of Jesus would make them rich and influential uh, and that uh, they would be prominent leaders in his messianic government right then, right there, when they were living. They did not understand fully what Jesus was about until really after he was crucified and resurrected. But as we close up, Matthew 19, 28-30, it says, Jesus replied to them, Peter, guys, you got the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, if you know what that means. You're not looking at things clearly. Let me, let me clear this up for you, guys. He says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be greatest then. I cannot wait for that day when these people that are on this earth right now to think that they are all that and that they are so important and they have so much power. We'll see how much power they have when God levels the playing field. The rich young ruler gives us the example of common humanity today. What does the rich man show us? I'm going to live for today. Live for yourself. Be a good person. Provide for your family. And do all you can to enjoy life. Work hard to do what you can. Make Jesus a part of your life, but not the center of your life. You can claim him as your savior, but reject him as your Lord, because that position is reserved for you. Now, I just, I just spouted off some big church words and some cliches that you hear all the time in church. 
Make Jesus Christ your Savior and your Lord. What does that mean? Make Jesus Christ your Savior and your ultimate leader in your life. Make Jesus Christ, coming to Jesus is more than the preacher preaching the sermon that's going to scare the hell out of you. And you come up and you pray and you receive Christ because you don't want to go to hell. And then so you pray to receive Christ and do nothing with it. That's making Jesus Savior, but not Lord, leader, center of your heart. Push the idols aside and make Jesus in control of your life. Churches are smack dab filled with people that have a saving relationship with Jesus, but not a lordship relationship with Jesus. The disciples give us a glimpse of what rewards await for us. Today benefits. As believers, we get God's presence and power through the Holy Spirit. And later, when Jesus rules and the whole world is made new, we will be rewarded for our faith and service. I am so glad to know that this is not as good as it gets. But think about this. If we got material rewards in this life for every faithful deed we did, we would be tempted to brag about our accomplishments and act out of the wrong motives. But friends, the sacrifices you make today for Jesus will be rewarded in heaven, my friends. Don't you like having something to look forward to? Starting today, we have 359 days until Christmas. We have birthdays to look forward to. Is that right, Donna? Did I get it right? Okay. My, my Christmas official, let me check with the judges. How many days until Christmas? What did I just say? I said three hundred. Okay, y'all pray for Donna. Her hearing is going. Because I knew I didn't need to get that wrong with Donna in here. 359 days to Christmas. Birthdays. You have birth of children to look forward to. To grandbabies and to vacations. All of these things. Those things are great. But Jesus assured his disciples in us today that giving up things for him in this life will reap rewards in the next. This life right now is not as good as it's going to get, and there is more to life than for eternity. Look, I, I cannot fault a man or a woman, a couple, a family, grandparents. I can't, I can't fault anybody for wanting to do the best you can for your family. But I'm telling you, you can put clothes on their backs, you can put food in their bellies, you can get them on every sports team there is. You can get them all the academic help that they need. You can get them all the extracurricular things that they need. But, my friends, I implore with you, don't teach them to live a life apart from Christ because one day they're going to need him. And if you don't raise them to know they need him, it's going to be a much harder work for them. Provide for your family. Make a living. Have nice things. But don't put it before. Well, the Lord's okay with you having nice things. The Lord's okay with you uh, being busy, but not so busy that you're too busy for him. I don't want you to start this new year off making the wrong commitments to the wrong things. And then ultimately, at the end of the year, being sad because everything you hope to get, you feel like you're further away from the Lord and got nothing accomplished. Remember this from the rich young ruler. Compare the rich young ruler to the disciples. 
The rich young ruler thought he was good, hardworking, and had accomplished a lot in life. He had the respect of his peers. He lived well off. His LinkedIn profile would have looked great. He thought eternal life is something he could work towards and add to his portfolio. In contrast, the disciples did leave everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus tells about the awards that are going to await them. This principle remains. God might ask or demand that something excuse me, that someone give up something for the sake of his kingdom that he allows someone else to have. But there are many who perish because they refuse to let go of what God asked them to let go of. Charles Spurgeon says, What have any of us to lose for Jesus compared with what we gained by him? What have any of us to lose for Jesus compared to what we have to gain for him? Let me ask you something. Is there anything that you've given to Jesus that he won't give you back tenfold? Look, I've been a Christian a while, and I've, I've always tried my best to put him first, but there are times in my life to where I have struggled. Maybe I need this. Maybe I need to set this aside. I really need this. All these kind of different things. Look, things happen, but I know this. When I finally gave my life to the Lord fully and completely when it comes to finances and tithing and giving, I found out this trick. I cannot, absolutely cannot outgive God. And I would lay that same challenge to you. Your decision today and every day is this. Number one, put yourself first like the rich young ruler, pursuing as much as you can in life apart from following Christ to have a shallow faith, an empty heart, and future judgment. Or you can be like the disciples, putting Jesus first, having a life fulfilled by trusting Jesus as he leads you in the what you need and don't need, all the while knowing that your reward is waiting in heaven. That is why you go to the funeral of somebody that was a believer, you have hope. That is why when you're facing death in the face, faith, you, when you're facing death in the face of death, you don't need to be scared. Only you will know when that time comes. Are you going to put God first? Or are you going to put yourself first? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for our time together this morning. And God, this message is just one of, of discipleship and lordship, of challenging us, God, to make sure that we keep you at the center of our lives. As we start a new year, God, may we put you in the center of it and not ourselves. May we remember that we are here to follow you, not our own whims. And not to please other people. We are here to follow you. And so if there is one person here today that has been struggling with putting you first, may today be today the day that they say, on the 31st of December, 2023, I'm placing God at the center of my life. I'm starting the new year right. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray. Maybe join the church. Be baptized. Whatever their decision is, it's a time for you to respond. Thank you.